Welcome to the first Bear Marriage Podcast of 2022. Hooray! It is a new year. We have much to celebrate. 2021 is over. Mm-hmm. And that's good. That in, this, in and of itself is worth celebration. Yes. So here we are, Bear Marriage Podcast, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based, biblical advice for your sex and marriage. And I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog. And I am joined by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. Who, if you're watching on YouTube, has wet hair. It, yes. Okay, I have a baby who is two months old today, and I did not have time to dry my hair. So just we're all just grateful that I had a shower. Mm-hmm. That's just very where grateful we're at. and congratulations. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so as we enter a new year and as we leave behind the old year, I thought we could do a little bit of a retrospective just to start this podcast. We have a whole bunch of stuff coming up to, on today's edition, mm-hmm. but that we could do a little bit of celebration. Yeah. Because this year, Great Sex Rescue was published in yeah, March. It launched in March and that was big. That was big and it, it sold well yeah. and even though we had a ton of pushback mm-hmm. and even though it was emotionally difficult Draining. and I know in my very last podcast 2021 <laughs> I was so thoroughly depressed. I have spent the last two weeks offline knitting and I am happy. Yes. <laughs> Doing a lot better. Yes. I made Vivian two pairs of leggings mm-hmm. from vintage pattern books. They're very cute. I, Katie can put pictures up if you're watching on YouTube and a lot of other things. And we've just had a lovely few weeks just processing and resting because it was a hard year. But as we started to look back, we realized how much there really was to celebrate. Yes. And that honestly, I mean, the battle has started to shift. Mm-hmm. I think the tide really has turned. And even though we were fighting really hard last year, I think in a way we've made some really big inroads. And I'm just excited to see how those inroads spread. And just, you know, to give you a bit of an idea, on December 31st, drum roll please, we got our millionth download. Yes. Of this podcast. And more people tend to listen than download. So... Like but, on YouTube, that didn't that doesn't count. Uh, yeah, or if YouTube you things, or, if you if you stream it through other, things, I don't know if that counts or not. You yeah. know, it, it's difficult to find out. Yes. But regardless, there's probably even more than a million listens. So that's mm-hmm. just that's really thrilling. Yeah, but, and we had half of those in the last year. Yeah, alone. so it's been growing exponentially. Astounding. Yeah, so thank you for joining in. I know so many of you found us last year, and last year was a great year for the podcast. Lots of really fun episodes. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. Uh, great Sex Rescue continues to sell. Well, we had a big bump um, at the end of the year, turn of the year, because everybody's including us on their top 10 books of 2021 list. Yeah, so, which yay. Is awesome. So, hey, if it was not a top 10 book for you in 2021, make it a top 10 book in 2022 and exactly. pick it up. It will change your life. You know, Rebecca, one of the things I've realized mm-hmm. in looking back over our podcast in 2021 mm-hmm. is that we never actually summarize the book anywhere. We're always talking about like one aspect of the book. That's right. Whereas every time I go on someone else's podcast, I summarize the book. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people who only listen to our podcast don't actually know what the book is what about. What the book is about. And so we're just so good at our jobs. We do this <laughs> so perfectly. Yes. So I want to give you the summary that I give on other people's podcasts because mm-hmm. I've been on like 200 podcasts. So I feel like I say this all the time, but I realize I don't say it to my own audience. Yeah. So I am going to tell you the story of the book. Yes. As I tell it on other people's podcasts. So it was a feb- it was it was a Friday afternoon in January of 2019, mm-hmm. and I had a migraine, and I was sitting in the yellow chair, which is just behind us, and I was looking for any excuse not to work, and I was on Twitter, 
which is usually where I go when I'm trying to find an excuse not to work. And it usually is filled with excuses not to work. Yeah, more on that coming up, because our guest is here because of Twitter. Mm -hmm. But as I was there, there were people fighting over whether they needed respect or love. And several women were saying that they need respect, not Mm -hmm. just love. And they were referring to Emerson Egrich's book, Love and Respect. And I had that book upstairs. Yeah. But I had never read it, because I was always afraid of plagiarizing. So I went and got the book. And I read the sex chapter, which is only about 10 pages long. Mm-hmm. And it was like a nuclear bomb went off in my living room. And I started FaceTiming you and Joanna. Yeah, and the group chat between the three of us was really something to behold. And I was like, I don't believe, uh, we got to do something. Yeah. This is really bad. And so the following week, I wrote a whole week of posts on love and respect. And they blew up. And I started off by talking about the problems with how the book talked about sex. Mm-hmm. How if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. So <laughs> sex is about men, um, how you need to minister to him sexually as unto Jesus Christ. So it, 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 sex is all about a woman giving her husband physical release. And he even says that, that sex is about a husband's physical release. Yeah, because if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. Right. Whereas women need emotional release, whatever that means. I don't know. I picture Sandra Bullock and the late Betty the White. The late Betty White. Betty White. Um, Chanting around the fire in the proposal. In the proposal. <laughs> yeah. That's what I picture it right here, emotional release. And the book went on with a lot of really negative tropes about sex. And mm-hmm. I wrote about those. And then I wrote about some of the problem, other problematic things in love and respect, um, including... Well, the entire premise of the book. Yes. And we just had so many comments about how that book enabled abuse in their marriage. And so we wrote up a report of this because we were really concerned. Yeah. And we sent it to Focus on the Family because they published the book and they promote the book and we thought that they would care. Yep. And they blew us off. Yep. And we thought, oh my gosh, I have been spending 10 years on this blog, trying to give people healthy advice for their marriage. But unless we start demolishing the negative foundations that so many people have built their marriages and sex lives on, we can never get healthy. Mm-hmm. And if Focus on the Family isn't going to listen to a few hundred women, maybe they'll listen to 20,000. And that's when we did the study for the Great Sex Rescue and the book. And in the book, we look at, we, 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 we asked 20,000 women to rate their marital satisfaction and their sexual satisfaction. And then after they did that, mm-hmm. we gave them a whole bunch of evangelical teachings about sex and marriage to see if believing any of those teachings correlated or made a difference in how they rated their marital and sexual satisfaction. And we yeah. identified four main beliefs that really hurt women's sex and sex lives and marriages. Mm-hmm. And those four teachings, if you're interested, are, <laughs> I, I like to say in Lord of the Rings terms, that there's sort of one ring to rule them all, where there's one yeah. teaching to rule them yes. all that is above everything. And that is this, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. Yeah. Like sex is for men, men need sex, women don't. Um, and then stemming from that are the four harmful ones that we found, which are that a woman is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. Mm-hmm. You should have frequent sex with your husband to keep him from watching porn. Mm-hmm. All men struggle with lust. It's, it's every man's battle. And boys will want to push your sexual boundaries. Yep, as and a girl, like when a, you're young. Yeah. yeah, and so you are the gatekeeper. And those things all led to really bad stuff. Yeah. And we detailed this in The Great Sex Rescue. And we talk about, you know, where these beliefs came from, how, how we can be tricked into mm-hmm. believing these things, but then also how to rescue your mm-hmm. sex life from them, yeah. how to reclaim joy and intimacy and true yeah. love mm-hmm. and uh, throw out sexual entitlement and 
objectification. Yeah. And how to reframe what you've been taught. Yeah. If you've been taught your whole life, well, lust is every man's battle. How can we see that in a different way? Yeah. You know, people struggle with lust. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, often men more than women, but many women too. And the way to defeat lust is by treating people like whole people made in the image of God. Yeah. And learning to respect them as whole people. Mm -hmm. And so let's reframe these messages that we've been given so that we can find health and wholeness. And that's what, that's what the book is about. Mm -hmm. That's what my blog, To Love, Honor, and Vacuum is about. That's what this podcast, The Bare Marriage Podcast, is about. Yes. And over this last year, we've just seen a lot of inroads. Mm -hmm. Not just with our, our own book and a blog, but some pretty interesting things happened. Married Sex by Gary Thomas and Deb Felita. That book landed in October. Mm -hmm. We talked about that a lot in last year's podcasts. I don't really want to revisit it too no. much. But what was interesting is that was the first major book in the evangelical world that came out after The Great Sex Rescue, where we know that Gary Thomas read The Great Sex Rescue, mm -hmm. and yet they didn't heed the warnings in The Great Sex Rescue. And they promoted all the same harmful um, yeah. messages. Yeah, and the book didn't do well, and, yeah. and was it had a ton of criticism. And so it's like we really have changed the conversation. Yeah, for the first time, you're not able to write something about how women mm -hmm. should feel like they have to have sex the same way that you have to feed a nursing baby in the middle of the night, so why don't you give your husband sex? Yeah. Like, that's such a horrible, toxic message that's yeah. entirely the obligation sex message. Yeah. Um, and... Also, frankly, if you want your wife to see you as a breastfeeding baby, I think that also has a lot of implications, Freudian implications, but that's fine. <laughs> anyway, like I say, you can't say those kinds of things anymore without people calling you out and being like, um, yeah. maybe sex shouldn't literally feel like a chore. Yes. Like, and, and you, you yeah. can't say stuff like sex ought to be a sacrifice sometimes or you're doing it wrong yeah you can't say things like you should text nude pictures to your husband so that neurologically he doesn't want to look at porn he'll anymore. become accustomed to looking at your nude body instead, instead of other women porn. it doesn't it doesn't work that way you can't say those things anymore because people actually have the ability to speak up they've been mm -hmm. i mean i hope that we've been able to help people feel empowered yeah. to say hey i don't want to have to train my husband to look at my body instead of other women yeah yeah, that's not that's not how this is supposed to work. Yeah. And then um, Matthew West had the video "Modest is Hottest," mm -hmm, the music video, the music video where he he said that he was making fun of dads who are overprotective, but in he inadvertently he or, was not making fun of dads who are overprotective. Yeah, he was what he actively says. he was actively like talking down about other real life women and their bodies. He was yes. He, he was did. he was saying a lot of very inappropriate things about mm -hmm. people who are actually like children of God as well. Yes. So anyway, I, I had major problems with it. He says like what happened was he put out this video saying you know modest is hottest, so girls like don't wear turtlenecks. Wear turtlenecks, and where all these boys are gonna be looking at you. Remember that if you want to get a good boy, be modest. And then when people said, hey, this kind of mentality about how boys are all going to be staring at my boobs, yeah. and so it's my job to cover up the fact that I even have a shape, and this mm -hmm. idea of like looking down on women who simply have more curves too, mm -hmm. and like all of this is so problematic. He's like, it was a joke, guys. It was a joke. Yeah. It's like that is not how. You, that's not a yeah. joke. But he had to take it down. He did. Yeah. And um, in subsequent podcasts, he made it clear he doesn't really understand the, the no. reason why. But he did take it down. And and. And the reason he took it down was because there was pushback. So it's yes. like we can no longer, we're seeing in the Christian world that you can no longer get away with stuff. The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast yeah. from Christianity Today was huge in 2021. Mm -hmm. I agree with many of the critics that it didn't go far yes. enough. 
Um, but even the fact that they put it out, yeah, you was like, huge. Christianity Today <laughs> is, frankly, Christianity Today is not able to call out yeah. the evangelical um, powers that be because they are the evangelical yes. powers that be. And so the fact that someone who was one of the evangelical powers be kind of turned on one of their buddies is a really it's, big, it's big deal. And I wish they'd gone further, but I think even the but fact we applaud the small that we're talking the, about this, yeah, that Christian is is great. It's and a huge so, win. We're seeing a lot of things um, happening in the Christian world. Some different things with the Southern Baptist Convention and sex abuse and being pressured to listen to their delegates Mm -hmm. and all kinds of stuff. Good stuff happening in the world. And so I do think things are changing. And I think that's positive news as we go forward. I think so. We are never going to eliminate toxicity. No, we're not. From the church. There will always be toxicity. As Jesus said, you know, the the birds of the air are going to nest in the branches. (laughs) They're always going to be there. The wheat and the tares are going to be together until the end until the harvest when um, God cuts them up you you can't you're never gonna have a perfect church but what we are seeing is that people are speaking up and the platforms of those who teach toxic stuff are diminishing and getting yeah, smaller exactly. and the power of those people are getting smaller yeah my hope is that because we do know you know just like you said the whole the parables that Jesus told about how we're always gonna be mixed in with people who are false teachers or who are doing things mm-hmm. wrong my hope is just that it stops being that it's a bad tree with some nice birds in the branches, and instead becomes a good tree with some bad birds. Because mm-hmm. I feel like I right now, think that's the, I think that's what the parable's saying. Oh crap! No, I thought I thought it's that the. Well, no, it's, it can be interpreted either way. Oh okay. Yeah, it's a, you're not wrong. It can be interpreted either way. I've just I've I've always found that one an interesting thing to look at because the, if you follow the birds of the air, if you follow what birds represent in different parables, it tends to be something negative. Like, I mean, it's just, it's just an interesting Bible yeah. study. If someone wants idea, a Bible study, just go take a look at that. But the <laughs> idea is, what I'm trying to say, is that for so long, I feel like the bad parts have been in charge. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hoping is that even if there's still some small group leaders who are spreading toxic messages, if there mm-hmm. are individuals in the pews who are, you know, misguided... You know, I'm hoping that overall, the leadership within the church, the bad ones get booted yeah. in the next couple of years. Yeah. Like, or they just simply lose their platform because people leave. Well, and we'll, we'll, talk about, yeah. we'll talk about that next week. Yes, we will. Yes. A bit more evidence that things are changing. Mm-hmm. We, got a, we got a funny comment on the blog just today that a woman was listening to a different podcast, not our podcast, a Christian marriage podcast that she doesn't usually listen to. Um that doesn't really agree with a lot of what we say. <laughs> and they had a question about vaginismus and they handled it not perfectly, but at least they talked about it. And she said it would never have been on their radar if it wasn't for your book. Yeah. And so, you know, even the fact that people now know what vaginismus is because mm-hmm. we've been talking about this so much because that was one of our outcome variables. Yes. We were looking at how these evangelical teachings affected sexual pain, yeah. marital satisfaction, orgasm rates, arousal rates. Feelings um, of emotional closeness. There yes. are all sorts of outcome but, variables. But that vaginismus. was a major one for us. And we're actually presenting at the American Physical Therapy Convention next month in February about our vaginismus results. Yeah. They were so interesting. Now, this particular podcast said that if she can't orgasm, she should see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. That's not... Like, sometimes there's sometimes, pelvic floor dysfunction issues, but... If, and, and, and learning to control those muscles can, can be a really big help, part of sexual but pleasure. But maybe we first talk to the husband. Maybe we first look at foreplay. might not be doing any foreplay. Foreplay might be the biggest yeah. thing. Okay. Um, here's another one. Uh, a man wrote in. Yes. And said, I first found out about you on a Twitter feed that was dissing love and respect. <laughs> 
hello. <laughs> Twitter yeah. comes up again. I instantly researched you because my wife and I hated that book and we only made it through two chapters. After arguing because we weren't feeling loved or respected, we realized it was a false dichotomy. Every person needs respect, respect. And, and love. Welcome to our new merch plug. For those of you watching on YouTube, we have we are each I drinking tea out of our love and respect mugs. Yes, and I it says love and and the and is circled and underlined. It has arrows going to it. Mm -hmm. Respect, and it says because healthy people need both. Yes, it is. Should not be a dichotomy. You can get these yes. in mugs, t-shirts. No canvas stickers, everything. And, and then he goes on to say, thanks so much for all the work you've done in exposing this and other problematic traits. We felt crazy because people we mm -hmm. know had no problem with the book. People thought we were weird. Yeah. Then we found you. We love your podcast and can't recommend it enough. It has brought a much healthier, truly biblical view into our lives when it comes to relationships and sexuality. And yes. that's what I think is happening is so many people think I must be crazy because I'm the only one who sees this as weird. Yeah. But now more and more people are speaking up and I think it's going to become more normal to be able to say, that's just not right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's just, that's just weird. It's just not that's normal. Just, that's just not normal. Okay. Um, here's another woman who wrote in, I love these kinds of messages. And she says she grew up, her, her pastor father was with the Independent Fundamentalist Baptist Church. She yeah. grew up in a very Duggar type of environment and she always clashed and never quite embraced it. And she says, since the pandemic, I've been trying to evaluate so much about my faith. Do I really hate God or the distorted version of him that I was taught? Do I hate the church or what some churches are teaching as the gospel? You said in one of your posts that you are trying to reach out to those of us who have left to let us know that there is more to the gospel. I am listening now. I am one that you were referring to. And to me, your blog is about so much more than sex. It's about freedom in Christ from legalistic hijacking of the message of Christ. Yeah. And I love, like, that's that's probably my favorite kind of email. Yes. Is when I get people saying, hey, I found Jesus again. Mm -hmm. Because I realized that what I was running from was the toxic messages in the church yeah. that we're really missing out on Jesus. Speaking of toxic messages in the church, Rebecca, okay. would you like to return to Twitter for a minute? Yes. Are you Scott Fred? <laughs> yes. So I'm, I'm going to bring on Scott and Melissa Coley onto the podcast yes. in, in just a minute. But I want... The reason I had them on was because of this thread that Scott wrote. I, I love Scott. He's great. I follow him. He's, he says such insightful things on mm -hmm. Twitter all the time. He's a wonderful follow, and I will put the link to him in the podcast yes. notes. Melissa's great, too. We'll yes. also put her link because yes. yes. I love Melissa, Melissa too. They both are great, and we've interacted quite a bit. Um, but he wrote this thread back on December 14th. Yes. Would you like to read it? I will because okay. I love this thread. <laughs> okay. While we're on the subject of virtual church, what's striking about large swaths of the American evangelical church is that if you are a white American man with conventional tastes and modest abilities, being an evangelical Christian is just so easy. In fact, if you're a white male in the U.S. just looking out for your own personal interests, you'd be crazy to choose any other way of life. To start with, you get to just show up and start theologizing from your own point of view, and that just counts as theology. <laughs> you get married, and then you never have to make your bed or do laundry or cook ever again. Or pick up your towels. Or pick up your towels, towels from yes. the bed. Scott didn't it. say that one. No, Emerson Eggridge did. Yes. But yes. Uh -huh. And you get to be the decider of things. And you get to gain as much weight as you want, but she can't because if she does, then you get a pass 
pass on infidelity. Well, not totally a free pass, but she's not allowed to get properly angry with you because she let herself go, so she kind of had it coming. Mm-hmm. And all you really have to do, basically, is just keep the women folk in their place and the cultural interlopers at bay and don't look at pornography unless the wife lets herself go, <laughs> in which case you still shouldn't do it, but it's as much her fault as yours at that point. So except for lusting after women that aren't your wife, which shouldn't be a problem if the missus is doing her part, you just do all the stuff you'd want to do anyway as a white American man, and it counts as Christianity. No cross to bear. No hating your father and mother. No meaningful sacrifice. No effort to understand perspectives that make you uncomfortable. In short, it's just nothing like the life that Christ tells his followers to expect. So a lot of white evangelical men were doing virtual church long before live streaming came along. And surely it's of no matter whether such men attend virtual church in person or online. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, the, you know, the point that he's making there is that the way that we have set up marriage in the church that's promulgated in books like His Needs, Her Needs, mm-hmm. Love and Respect, Sheet Music, Every Man's Battle, etc., makes life really easy for men. Yeah. I, sh- I do struggle when he says, like, no cross to bear. I struggle with finding any cross yeah. in any of these books for men to bear other yeah. than oh, maybe you'll have to talk to your wife sometimes when you feel like you'd rather play video games. Yes. Like, I really, I can't see anything that men are asked to do that women are not asked to do as well. And And we actually looked at that. And, well, what Emerson Egridge says, of course, is that because men might have to give up their lives for you, you need to honor them because they need to be willing to sacrifice their life for you. So so you need to... Now, I, I think that's such a stupid argument. And that is a stupid argument. I will mm-hmm. use the word stupid. Because look at the number of women who suffer long-term uh, like health issues because of childbirth mm-hmm. or who die in childbirth every year. Because mm-hmm. it still happens. Mm-hmm. And look at when you look at um, relationships, it is much, much more likely that the woman will die at the hands of her, of her partner mm-hmm. than that the partner will sacrifice his life for his wife. Yep. Like well, domestic violence, like women who are murdered are murdered by their yeah. husbands a lot of the time. Or like, or even not domestic violence. Here's an article that was shared in our Patreon group. And by the way, shameless plug, we have a Patreon group. Yes. So if you would like to support getting our research into peer-reviewed journals and getting into more social media platforms and just join a like-minded group of people, we have... Um, we have a wonderful Facebook group. We have unfiltered podcasts on our Patreon group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, money- we, do, we do an unfiltered podcast kind of like this one every month. And then we also do like a book club one mm-hmm. where Joanne and I talk about like articles and books and stuff that frankly she's read because I have mm-hmm. no time to read things. Right. And she doesn't either, but it's a higher priority for her. <laughs> yes. And and one of our wonderful patrons shared this article yes. in the patron group about how men are six times more likely to leave their wives if their wives get a cancer diagnosis yes. than women are to leave their husbands if their husbands get a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And so all these things about how men are going, like Emerson Egricks and people like him saying, but men sacrifice their lives for you. It's like, no, no, actually, statistically speaking, they don't. Yeah. There are men out there who would. Yes. But that can't be the argument because statistically speaking, uh, men in marriages, because of the culture we have set up, are Mm -hmm. looking out for their own interests before the interests of their wife. Yeah. That is just... Because they've been told that's what manhood is. Exactly. Because you are supposed to lead and the way you lead is by making sure the family does what you want. Exactly. And so you get to do whatever you want and the family has to go along with you and that is seen as being Christ-like. And I just want to say that's such a waste of human capital. Mm-hmm. Cause like think about how many, uh, cause like there's, there's just genuinely evil men who are going to be evil no matter what culture they're in. Mm-hmm. There's just genuine, same way that yeah. there's just genuinely evil women who yeah. are going to be evil no matter where they are. Yeah. Right. But think about like the men who grow up, who want to be good people 
and they're in this incredibly toxic place where they themselves are ridiculed and like emotionally abused as well if they are caring mm -hmm. and comforting and feminine quote unquote mm -hmm. in their in their um their personality in those ways because mm -hmm. in, in a lot of these circles being nurturing and emotional is not manly right and so then you have these men who may have otherwise been truly amazing husbands truly amazing partners who uh if you had fostered the goodness when they were a child instead of beating it out of him mm-hmm you yeah. know, and that's, yeah. that's what makes me so angry because I have friends who were on the trajectory to be incredibly compassionate, wonderful people mm -hmm. who then because of this teaching, I saw them become more and more twisted and more and more hardened and less and less compassionate in the name of quote unquote truth. Yeah. And more and more entitled yeah. feeling that the way that I live out the gospel in my marriage and in my life is by making sure other people acquiesce to what I believe is right. And, and, and just simply make my life easy. Yeah. Is, is because because I am supposed to be submitted to when I make everybody else do what I want them to do, I am helping them be, live out their Christian well, life. Well, because you're told your whole life you are a leader. You're, mm -hmm. you're a, a man of God. We're called to lead. You're supposed to, you know, have a, your troops rallying behind you and the, your troops are your wife and your kids or maybe it's your congregation if you're a pastor or maybe it's whatever it is but these boys are told from a very 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 young age regardless of their personality regardless mm -hmm. of their strength of character regardless of whether or not they're suited to leadership you mm -hmm. are a leader yeah you are a leader and so what happens is when they can make people obey them it's almost like then they they self-fulfill their own prophecy that they are leaders it's mm -hmm. like look at me my wife obeyed me and this is my job as a leader is to make sure she obeys me and this is how i serve god is by making sure that all these people do what i want mm -hmm. um and and it's not said so expressly but we see it all the time mm -hmm. we see it all the time and it's no wonder that we're seeing so many cracks in evangelicalism because we have built it up on a foundation of men who have been told that they get to lead simply because they are men and not because they are actually suited to it. Yeah, not because they're, and not because they're Christ-like. And that, that's what we, I mean. We've that's taken I mean. Jesus completely out of the equation. And inserted genitalia. Yes. Like, and, and that's, that's what really becomes even more of a problem. I just think that there's all these studies that have come out, we're going to talk about one right now, where, you know, when you give people power and they act out that power, it actually does impact how you function neurologically. Yeah. yeah, there's an there's a fascinating article in the Atlantic which summarizes a bunch of different studies about this about how power physically changes the brain. Like it makes the brain act differently. And one of the ways that it that that it, it describes this is people who have power, so CEOs, people mm -hmm. who um they lose the ability to mirror others. Mhm. Mm and mirroring, what happens when you're mirroring is like when you're talking to someone, and this has been well documented in psychological studies, is if someone else smiles, what do you do? You tend to smile You back. tend to smile. Yeah. Um, if someone else looks relaxed, you tend to relax. If someone mm -hmm. else looks stressed, you tend to s sit up. Yeah, yeah, this is actually something that we, that, that uh, for all the other toddler moms out there, it's a really great way to get temper tantrums to stop a little sooner. Just yeah. act the way you want your toddler to act. Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, it actually kind of works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but this is one of the first things babies do, yeah. actually. In, in, I know, and Vivian's doing it. Yeah. It's, it's so sweet. If you stick your tongue out, they, they stick, stick their, their tongue out. Yeah. And they, and they start to mirror. And so this is, mirroring is a way that we build empathy, the way that yeah. we show empathy, because we're hardwired to want that relationship. Yes. And, um, and if you think about 
the golden rule, you know. Yeah, treat you know, others as you want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's very much a mirroring thing. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the more power you have, the less you mirror. Yeah, because you don't you don't actually have to think about how others will treat you because you have power over them. Right. They can't treat you badly. And yes. so even if you treat them badly, they're not going to be able to treat you badly in return. Mm-hmm. Now, the studies go on and say a whole lot of other things about yes. that. I'll put a link to it in the podcast notes because yeah. it really is fascinating. But, you know, the, the simple fact is that when we give people power, they stop showing empathy and they stop being able to explain how someone else feels. Mm-hmm. Or explain well, yeah. someone else's opinion in the same way. So they actually lose the ability to understand what other people are thinking. Yeah, and, and remember with all these studies, we're not saying that every single person who is X gets right. Y. Like, no, that's not how these studies work. What it means is that overall, if you are in a position of power, you are more likely to experience these kinds of things. And so we have to ask why. The same way that not every single person who smokes will get lung cancer, but mm-hmm. if you smoke, you are more likely to get lung cancer. And so therefore we can see that even if you smoked for 80 years and didn't get lung cancer, that doesn't mean it's healthy. Right. Right? Because overall we can see the fruit of what it, mm-hmm. um, what, so, it what it produces. I'm going to bring Scott and Melissa on right now, and they're going to talk about that threat. So I am thrilled to welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast, Scott Coley, who is um, a podcaster at Faith, Philosophy, and Politics. I was actually on your, I think you were like the fourth one I recorded for the Great Sex Rescue when it came out. So I know Scott from that and from Twitter, and then Melissa is his wonderful wife who gets punches hard on Twitter as well, and I like, I love following her, and (laughs) You are, you've got a whole bunch of credentials. You're a teacher, yoga instructor, yeah. trainer. <laughs> <and> <laughs> yeah, I'm a special ed teacher turned personal trainer turned stay-at-home mom, and I'm currently an art instructor for adults with intellectual disabilities and autism. Right, and you edit all of the podcasts too, I right? do, I do. Yes, so you're the behind-the-scenes <laughs> person, which is a big job. It thank is, you, Katie. Thank you. Yes, thank you to Katie who does it for me. Okay. <laughs> so we loved the thread, Scott. Like we love that. And I just thought this is a good way to start 2022 because I want to change the conversation about men and sex because this is ridiculous. Like this is this is crazy. So tell me, you wrote that thread. What was what was the feedback that you got from it? It was about it was about what you would expect. I got some reactions that were sort of like, well, that's not true, just in very general terms, but no one sort of denied really any of the specifics in the thread, because of course you can't. Right. uh, Because it's all true, as you've painstakingly documented in your work, Mm -hmm. uh, which we all owe you a lot for having done the the grueling work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of reading through all of that and documenting the receipts. I mean, it's really, I, I, I literally cannot even imagine. <laughs> yeah, I know. We all need therapy. But <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> but um, I, think, I think the thing that really struck me as I read it, and I mean, I've been in this forever, it seems. It isn't forever. It's only been like three years, but it seems forever. But I had never thought of it the way you put it in that, the way that the evangelical church sets up life for men is just so easy. Like, why would you want anything else? And how did we get to the point where we thought that was Christianity? You got me. I, 
you know, I grew up with parents who had a, a very traditional roles. My dad is a pastor and he went to work and my mom was home when we were young. Um, but it was never, I never got the impression that my, uh, my mom's job, that her purpose in life was to uh, take care of all five of us and my dad. Uh, my dad in different seasons in life always, um, he packed our lunches, he grocery shopped, he made dinner, uh, made breakfast. Like he was constantly involved. And so some of what we've seen on Twitter and, and in the lives of, of people we know were, were um, a little perplexed by, and we're not really sure why the the uh, everything is so simplified and, and women are maids, they're servants. You know, I, I probably have, I don't know, a decade on you guys, at least maybe more, I'm not sure. I'm older anyway. Um, <laughs> but I remember, and I, I shared this in the blog last year, when I was in youth group in the 80s, we didn't talk about gender roles and about all the stuff what we talked about was how are you going to make a difference in the world what are you going to do for jesus what are you going to risk for jesus you know we talked a lot about about mission work we talked about how to transform our communities we talked about how to witness to those around us we talked about all the many immigrants to toronto because i grew up in the most multicultural city in the world you know how can we reach these unreached people groups who are coming to toronto but still have you know um uh, family back in some unreached nation, like how can, what, what can we do with this mission field that God is bringing right here? And that was what we talked about all the time was how can we live our, li live our lives totally sold out for Jesus? And somehow that went away. Hmm. Like, I know there's still elements of it, but I, I don't know. Did you guys see that gospel coalition reel last week that everybody was commenting on? Um, Ligon Duncan, I don't even know how you say his first name, Ligon, Ligon, I don't know, Duncan, um, he had this video up on, on the Gospel Coalition, and he said that when, when husbands feel like their wives respect and trust them, they are able to take the risks involved in spiritual leadership. And then he listed a lot of these risks, which include getting the kids ready for church and reading your Bible and acting like a Christian in their daily life. We, we've I hadn't we've had taken the pleasure. a much a much needed break from Twitter recently, so we missed that. I hadn't had the pleasure. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for letting me know that that exists. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I so what when I I grew up in sort of evangelical subculture, and then and I I, I would say that my experience is broadly similar to yours. There wasn't a lot of emphasis on gender roles at least in, in the background that I came from. Now, Melissa had a different experience. Um, My parents were an anomaly. <laughs> yeah. um, and and I, think, I think the operative word there is emphasis, right? Because um, underlying a lot of this sort of patriarchal or if you like complementarian uh, rhetoric, there are actually two theses and both of which are important. One is to do with gender roles and the other is to do with the importance of their view of gender roles, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we never talk about that second one, right? So, you know, say what you will about gender roles, right? But I just wanna know how we got to a point where you've got a bunch of dudes running around screaming about how important it is that we let dudes be in charge. 
right? So if you think men should be in charge, fine, we can have that conversation. But if that's like 90% of what you talk about and it just so happens that you're a guy and it really works to your benefit for things yeah. to be that way, yeah. Um, I just have to say at a certain point, I mean, this was kind of the motivation uh, for, for the thinking behind the, the thread was why do you spend so much of your energy as a Christ follower uh, trying to bring about social arrangements that make your life easier? And incidentally, I just never had the idea that the purpose of marriage was to make my life more convenient. Mm-hmm. That is not the point of marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't, I've been married for, it feels like what, three, four you years? Almost nine years. Oh, yeah. is it, has it been that long? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, 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 so I haven't been married that long, so I won't claim to know what the point of marriage is, but I do think I have a pretty good idea of what the point of marriage isn't. Yeah. And I, I just don't think the point of it is to make my life easier. <laughs> and I don't, and, and I just don't think that's why my wife exists. Yeah, it's bizarre. And it's such a strange view of, like, I find this whole thing a very strange view of men. Because the men that I know who truly love Jesus are not running around trying to be in charge. They're, they're, they're running around trying to make the world, trying to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Like, let's, let's feed the hungry. Let's, you know, care about our communities. Let's, Let's tell people about the good news. Like, let's, let's do the work of the gospel. They're not saying, hey, everybody put me in charge. And I don't know, I don't know how um, we can give a different picture. I guess this is what's bugging me, is how do, we, how do we fight back against that when every time you try, you're told, well, you just don't believe the Bible? So that, okay. I have a couple of projects going, one of which has to do with uh, ideology and propaganda. And that's, that's propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, it's a kind of propaganda that appeals to some ideal in service to an agenda that undermines that very ideal. Now, here's what I mean by that. Um, when you and I are having an interpretive disagreement, right, about what scripture says, okay, mm-hmm. And, uh, and let's say, okay, so the complementarian says, you know, the Bible says women should submit and women should be quiet in church. And then, and then you say, uh, well, I don't think that's what the Bible says, right? And then they come back and they say, well, why don't you, why don't you believe uh, the Bible? Why, why, why are you questioning the authority of scripture, et cetera, et cetera? First of all, that's a non sucker It doesn't make any sense, right? Because yeah. you're not, no one's questioning whether, uh, you know, the Bible is the inspired word of God in this conversation. The whole point is, uh, what is the Bible saying, right? Because you and I can disagree about the significance of the white whale in Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. And we can, while, while completely agreeing that Moby Dick was written by Herman Melville. Right. 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 Okay. So first of all, it's a non sequitur. But secondly, and, and I think more importantly, the appeal is to the authority of God's word. And that, um, that is a noble ideal, right? Because we want we want to give God authority over... The sayings of men, right, yeah. uh, and 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 women, but definitely men <laughs> in this case. Uh, and uh, so there's this appeal to God's authority in service to an agenda, which is ultimately to get you to submit to mm-hmm. their human authority, mm-hmm. uh, which is the opposite of the ideal that they're appealing to, right? 
So they would rather have you just take their word for what the Bible means than to actually sort of work it out with the Holy Spirit and, and, and figure out what scripture is saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're just supposed to take what they say and just do it because they say so, because they're the guys in charge or something. I don't know. I don't know who put them in charge, uh, <laughs> but, but no, you don't get to just tell me that I reject the authority of scripture because I don't agree with your reading of scripture. It's nonsense. It's propaganda. Yeah. It's a hard one to fight against though. Like it really does shut down the conversation. I think a lot of people then don't know what to say. Because when someone says, well, you just don't believe the Bible. I think, I think that's where a lot of people just feel almost shame. I, you know, when you, when you don't, you, you don't know how to argue the Greek. You don't know how to argue <laughs> the context of the time. You don't know the intricate arguments. You just know, but what you're saying sounds nothing like Jesus. And so it can't be right. So, so there, there, proof texting used to be bad. I don't know when it stopped being bad. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, this is an unwelcome development. Oh, I started to say a few minutes ago, I grew up in this subculture and then I went away to graduate school and I still went to church, but I, I stopped paying attention to, you know, some of these intramural conversations. And then after I defended my dissertation, I sort of came back into the world or something and i got and i got on twitter and i all of this stuff appeared to me and i was like what and i'm looking at melissa and she's like yeah i tried to tell you that this was a thing (laughs) uh so so um no i was just gonna say like like it i think a lot of people feel a lot of shame when someone says well you just don't believe the bible because they don't know the intricate answers all they know is you don't look anything like jesus that, that was it. That was it. So, so proof texting used to be a bad thing. That was it. That was it. Sure. I mean, you could just take snippets of scripture and say, well, here's what it means. And if you don't believe this, then you're, you know, you don't, you don't accept the authority of scripture. That's one way of doing things. Another way of doing things is to read the whole Bible, right. <laughs> and, and see sort of w- what kind of principles present themselves to you uh, after you've read the canon of scripture, right. And, and, and really tried uh to let it form your cognition Mm -hmm. um and i just i just don't see how you read the whole bible and you come away thinking one of the big takeaways here is that boys should be in charge of girls (laughs) so yeah you can pull out isolated passages but i would i would much rather talk about uh the whole of the message that's being conveyed here and, and I wouldn't mind talking about why you as a guy are so intent on con- constantly talking about why you should be in charge. Mm-hmm. If I could add, and, and I could be wrong. I mean, I, I don't have a PhD, I don't know. But I, I think a lot of people are reacting to um, Beth Allison Barr's book right now. And everybody's angry about, you know, can women teach men in church? And, and I think that conversations about that, um, if we could put those to the side for a moment, you know, it, you said the, it, they shut down conversations by saying, well, you don't believe, you know, what the, what the word says, the good book. Mm-hmm. If we could put that aside and, and, and maybe focus on what goes on in your home. Mm-hmm. So forget whether or not you go to a church where a woman is a pastor. If we can talk about what goes on in your home and how easy your life is as a husband, yeah. uh, 
I think I, I think they're unwilling to, to look at that. Does your wife like being married to you? Yeah. Do you make her life easier or do you make her feel small? And mm-hmm. do you take advantage of her? Uh, mm-hmm. do, you, <laughs> do you help? There was that uh, Kevin DeYoung article, uh, article I, I don't know, think piece uh, months ago about- Offering. Um, what? Offering. His offering about laundry and like, Oh, you know, and, and and I think I have friends who who the 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 wife does the laundry, and that that's that's what works for them. And and so it's not about that. It's when we got married, he didn't let me do his laundry until I mean he still does his own, but he wouldn't let me help with it until about a year ago because it was annoying. I'd say you you're working multiple jobs, you. I'm throwing laundry in. I'm home with our son. Can I just throw your shirts in? Like, yeah. it just makes sense. And, and and these seasons, you know, where like he did a lot more cooking a year ago than than he's doing now. Um, but these, I think people don't want to talk about what's what's happening. And everything is different in each family. And what you have to find what works for you. But but if the general uh, tone in your house is that you're you're the husband and you got to do God's work and go in your study, especially with pastors, um, and, and that's the most important thing. And your family is neglected, and your kids, as Owen Strachan says, uh, or Strawn or whatever. I don't know how you say it. Either. I always go back and forth. Uh, yeah. You know, you occasionally get on the floor and help with your kids, like. That is that is prevalent in Christian homes, and, and it shouldn't be. And um, I I once saw a man, the the parent of a small child, uh-huh. uh, present the child to his wife, and announce that it needed a diaper. Right. <laughs> right. I mean. Yeah. 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 I just yeah. I decided early on like if I'm around my wife's not changing diapers because she changes uh-huh. diapers when I'm when I'm gone. Yeah. Uh-huh. So there's no reason why she needs to change diapers when I'm home. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the We're at a restaurant. I came up We're... with this isn't like you're going to do your yeah. part, you know. I birthed yeah. that baby. It just which would have been one. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is funny. It's like um, one of the things. Well, I remember in Gary Thomas's book, Married Sex, he has this really odd story where he says Erica has four children and she does most of the day to day decision making. And Timothy, her husband, is the way it works. And so he's not involved in the daily decisions. It's like Erica doesn't have four children. <laughs> Erica and Timothy have four children. Like, even, even though you're talking about it. And then I remember Emerson Eggert's in he says this constantly. I, I, I see it in love and respect. I've seen it in sermons online or whatever. That basically the whole reason that women have to do all the things that you mentioned in your thread, Scott, and and why men's lives should be easy is because men have to be willing to die for their wives. Whereas wives don't have to be willing to die for their husbands. And so because your husband is willing to die for you, you need to do everything in your life to make his life easier. Like, it's bizarre. It's, it's ideology. I mean, it's the only way that makes any sense. Because yes. it's like, I'm willing to do this thing that requires a momentary sacrifice in a remote possible world. Yeah. Right? So I, so I'm in charge here and like, I don't, 
I'm just going to watch the game while you... You need to be willing to sacrifice for me and absolutely everything else on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the whole dying to to self thing is like, like in reality, actually doing it Mm -hmm. is way more difficult than just being willing to die in a, in a Mm -hmm. home invasion scenario. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Cause this is, this is a theory that I have and I don't know if it's a good one or not. So I want to see if you agree. I think that this is largely a boomer gen X problem and that millennials and Gen Z, and what's the Gen, sorry, Gen Z, I always forget, I'm Canadian. Um, anyway, and the millennials and It's charming, Gen, no, it's good. Gen Z, Gen Z, whatever. Um, and Gen, was it Alpha that's after Gen Z? I don't know, but like, I think that they're gonna change it. I don't, I think in the millennial generation, there's less likelihood that people are putting up with this crap. I think you're right. I, most of, um, most of our friends, especially through the pandemic they uh, it's everyone is it's all hands on deck you know we yeah. have most of my friends are are working moms and and they're working from home their husbands are working from home and everyone is is doing everything and i think in a lot of cases these husbands are seeing what their wives were doing you know before yeah. the pandemic when they were <laughs> leaving and commuting and and all that but unfortunately in and maybe it's just isolated to Twitter uh, or Twitter shows you what, what you don't, the people that you don't hang out with on a regular basis. I, there is a push uh, among millennials and we, we've talked about this at, at length um, to, to reclaim uh, what, what their elders taught them and, and try to repackage it. And uh, I think other books are going to come out. I think, you know, love and respect is so harmful. I think some of these millennials who are, um, uh, position to inherit the mantle. I think they're going to do it, and uh, and that's part of why we we talk about this and fight against it because it's it's no it's no way to live, and it's a distraction from what the gospel is and how yeah. it's supposed to function. Um, I want to believe. I want to agree with you. I want to believe that it's going to go away, uh, but I think there are pockets that are are harmful. Yeah. There will always be pockets. There will always be pockets. And and I don't think we're ever going to get rid of compliment like of, of these toxic teachings teachings altogether. But I do think I do think a lot of millennials are looking at this thinking that's not like they're like, like that's just nuts. <laughs> I, I, I'm 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 hopeful that you're right. And I, I think I think we're I mean in our more hopeful moments we're like oh man this is you know this is changing and I think the I think there's <clears throat> it it's it seemed I mean my impression anecdotally is that the momentum is on the side of of changing these dynamics um, yeah. with within the church and then I mean I, and then there's there uh, within evangelical circles I should say and then there's there's this phenomenon where at least as far as white evangelicalism in the U.S. goes, um, the group sort of gets pulled along the arc of moral progress with secular society. I mean, it's yeah. really you would you would you would hope that that uh, evangelicals would be leading the way um, with some of yeah. these much needed reforms. But um, that I mean, the culture at large, I think, is looking at some of these dynamics and saying, "Well, that's ridiculous." 
I don't know yeah. what to do with yeah. that. And and rightly so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's such a cognitive difference. I, I was reading some excerpts from Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by John Piper and Wayne, is it Wayne Grudem who wrote it as well? Um, uh, someone was posting screenshots yesterday on Twitter. And one of them was, uh, John Piper was talking about a work situation where you had a female boss who called a meeting. And how do you how do you exert your masculinity and make sure that that she understands she is feminine in that sort of a position? And so what you should do is hold the door for her and hold take out her chair for her and things like this. And I'm like, like microaggressions. Yeah, like if you did that in a work situation, like if you did all those things, it is so obvious that these people have never worked in a corporate situation exactly yep. or academic situation yep. whatsoever. When John Piper starts getting into thought experiments, um, <laughs> I, I it seems to me that the appropriate response is just you know uh, an expression of complete incredulity. I, I don't. I just I just there are no words. There are no words. I know this is the same book where he says that a man who is um, uh, lost and mm. goes to a woman in yeah. her garden for directions, which is creepy. Like, why is he in her back garden anyway? But you know, like, um, that she's supposed to give directions in a feminine way, which doesn't undermine his masculinity, and so she shouldn't be direct. Or so you got to give direction. Like, well, I find that if I go up this road and take the third left, I often end up at the highway. Like, what are you <laughs> It's crazy. It's you know? Literally crazy. <laughs> I think so many people are just finding in, their, in the rest of the secular world, their lives are so different that church is, is insane when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, and I just, I have a lot of faith that the next generation isn't going to put up with it, I, I believe. I, I, I'm going to choose to believe that. <laughs> I think my generation wrecked it because we had a chance and we wrecked it. So I think my concern is that in the political climate right now, especially with conversations about public school and CRT and the libs are, you know, trying to take over your children, I'm seeing a lot of Christian families decide to homeschool. And I think that that naturally is going to change the dynamics within the home. I'm, I'm, I know personally, um, families who are very right-wing and, and lean that way, and they are deciding to, to homeschool and moms are leaving the workforce. And so uh, that's where the uh, repackaging of, mm -hmm. of the, this at-home dynamic between spouses, that's where I'm seeing it um, happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And that, I think that's, that's what concerns me. Um, but I, I like your hope. <laughs> I yes. think I'm more jaded. <laughs> yeah. You're so positive. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that in general, like the, the, the moral arc does, what is it? The moral, the, the arc of history, the moral, there's something. What is it? Now, what's that? The, the, the... Oh, oh the, the quote from uh, Dr. King that uh, yes. um, the, uh, the arc of... Uh, history is long, but it bends toward justice. Yeah, that one. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> I think we are going in that direction. So when we get back to your central premise in that thread, which is that life is just really easy if you, for an evangelical man, if you do all the things that all these books say you should get to do as an evangelical man, 
how like this this bears no resemblance to taking up your cross on a daily basis like even the fact that Ligon Duncan was was framing it as a risk to read your Bible and and live out a biblical life like there's a reframing of of just basic Christian fruits of the spirit as being taking up your cross <laughs> and how do we how do we fight against that like do you have any insight on that one a bit i think possibly i have thoughts about it um <laughs> so i think part of what's happened here is that the resources of christian theology have been pressed into service of a particular kind of ideology that doesn't really have much at all to do with Christianity itself. There are preferences for doing things in a certain way. And then, and then Christian theology is brought along as legitimation for that, that way of doing things. Um, and I mean, again, the proof texting, I just, it blows my mind every time. I just don't, I don't, it's, but proof texting is bad is what I want to say every time. I don't like, you know, this is, that you, this is not how it works. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, so you bring along these proof texts, uh, to support this, uh, you know, this set of preferences that, that happen to reflect your own interests, right? If you're a, a male in these contexts. And I think that is precisely the opposite of how a Christian's cognition ought to work, right? Mm -hmm. Um, if I'm reading scripture and I'm constantly seeing things that confirm that I'm right and that my my preferences are good. If I'm if I'm reading scripture and constantly just finding sanctification for my my own personal preferences, yeah. I'm just not reading the Bible correctly. I'm not yeah. doing Christianity right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that's helpful, but um, uh, there's this thing called motivated reasoning, right? Where you find justifications for what you want. And everyone does this. This is a natural human tendency. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of Christianity is about fighting that, mm -hmm. right? Putting the preferences, imagine this, right? Okay, this is revolutionary. Putting the preferences of other people before your own. Paul say something about that in Philippians 2, I mean, I feel like that shows up in, in uh, maybe a few spots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or how about, you know, um, he must increase and I must decrease, like from John the Baptist talking about Jesus, like that's, that should be our, our aim. I think it's it's my prayer that we'll catch that again, that we'll fall in love with Jesus again, instead of just, yeah, instead of just seeing that Christianity, cultural Christianity is a really great way to make my life easy. So wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be such a testimony if people outside the church, unbelievers looked at Christian uh, marriages and families and said, wow, all of those men seem, mm -hmm. seem really uh, committed to mm -hmm. serving their spouses and their, their, their spouses seem happy and well-rested. <laughs> I, I, I don't, there's no reason why day in and day out, you should look as a man mm -hmm. so much better rested than your wife. 
Uh, it, it just it. <laughs> that that's not a good testament. Amen. Amen. So yeah, 2022 is the year that that, that people that women get that more rest. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Um, so where can people find you guys? What's, what's up on the Faith, Philosophy, and Politics podcast for 2022? Anything big? We've got some, we've, we're uh, two episodes in. Third episode will be out next week. Uh, took a little break with the holidays, but we have some, some phenomenal guests lined up. And uh, yeah, excited about that. So, and Twitter is kind of the one-stop shop for yeah. there's a link to my website there um faith philosophy and politics.org and uh you're also on instagram i don't know if you know this i i did <laughs> i i don't even know the password for my instagram account i got a social, social media manager here so yeah. Yeah. well i found you on twitter i will send everyone to twitter and then they can find your podcast and everything else so that is wonderful thank you for joining us guys and happy thank new you year so much. Happy new year. <laughs> it's always a pleasure sheila thanks for having us i thought you'd like that bit about looking exhausted yes yes very funny and very true for you right very now very relatable yes yes no but i think i think as we're talking about this whole idea that frankly evangelicalism actually has a very low view of men mm-hmm I think for me, when I'm looking at this as someone who's a mom, and I know everyone likes my my parenting metaphors because this is just where I am these days, <laughs> but this is something that I honestly have been thinking a lot about. Like when it comes to parenting, if you raise a child who never actually has to grow, but just kind of has an easy life, if yeah. you raise a kid who just wants to sit around and play video games and pouts when they have to do chores mm -hmm. and feels entitled to other people's work. Mm -hmm. Or if you raise a girl who manipulates her friends and pouts so that they always have to do what she wants to do. And so she's super happy because she gets to do what she wants to do. And yeah. isn't this so great? And everyone else around her is kind of miserable. Like you failed. Yeah. Like as a parent, we know that that's a failure. Yeah. That's not a successful... Because those Way people are not going to have good relationships. They're not going to have good relationships. You are keeping them from becoming more like Christ. You are actually getting in the way of their spiritual development if you're allowing children to grow up incredibly selfish and entitled. Mm -hmm. that, that's, it's a parenting failure. And, yes. and that's one of the things that I'm afraid of as a parent. Yeah. But this is what we expect of men. Yeah. And, and I don't and know why, because guys are so much better than this. Well, and, and the <laughs> like thing your is, husband's not like this. My no. husband's not like this. Scott's not like this. <laughs> like, like there is no reason for us to yeah. think that men can't be good people, or that, no or that men are so fragile yeah. that a woman having an opinion is going to demolish them. Yeah, it's just not the way it works. No, it's not. And and what we've done is, in essence, we we've, we've raised in the church multiple generations of spoiled husbands mm -hmm. and, and i know no, which doesn't harsh. mean all men no it doesn't mean all men but if you actually believe this and live it out you're spoiled that's what it will result in i'm sorry but the emails that we get from women who like their husbands say well you're the stay-at-home mom and so i i went from work from nine until six and so now it's six o'clock and i'm home it's like yeah but she got up at five in the morning to feed yeah. the baby and then she's not going to bed until 10 30 because you won't do the laundry and by mm -hmm. the way she's picking up your food 
and yeah, she's picking up your salt or your wet towel from the bed yeah. because you won't put it on. It's her. like that is what that is is huh. that is the same energy as the fourteen year old who throws the Gatorade bottle at his mom and says, "I need another one," while he plays Call of Duty for the eighth hour straight. Like mm-hmm. that's the same energy. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but it is. And and again, this is most men are not like this, and so why in the world? Does the church present this like it's normal? Why in the world do we have a book where a guy can leave a wet towel on the bed, as Emerson Eggridge does, and somehow that's the wife's fault? Yeah, the moral of the story is she really shouldn't have nagged him so much, and she should just pick it up and be quiet, because otherwise he won't want to love her anymore. But the good news is... Things are changing. And that's and they're what changed, I'm They're changing for. because of people like Scott and Melissa. Yeah, and that's what I'm really <laughs> hoping is I'm hoping that what we start seeing more of is that the men in the church who are fine with sharing opinions mm-hmm. and who are emotionally healthy and mm-hmm. who really respect their wives and the women around them and who mm-hmm. aren't power hungry and who mm-hmm. are just looking to be truly healthy people, they start speaking up more and they start talking mm-hmm. to their friends who they see being a little bit more authoritarian in their homes. I mean like, hey, that's not appropriate. Like yeah. that's, that's... Or, or you know what, after a big dinner at small group, how about some men get up and start clearing the table instead yeah. of the men sitting there and letting the women clear the table? Exactly. Like just little things like that. And I believe that change is coming. Yeah, I do. And I, and I really think that it's, it's something that we don't have to wait forever for because I mm-hmm. do believe that there are lots of those men in the pews already. Mm-hmm. I just think that they haven't realized that there's a need for them to step up. And I think also they're thinking that they're the ones who are crazy. Yeah. Like that guy who wrote the love and respect letter. And yeah. they don't realize that actually there's more of us than we think. Yeah. And if we spoke up, our numbers would be amazing. And frankly, if you're the only man in your church who will help with anything around the house and who respects his wife, you need to leave the church. Yeah, like, probably get church. a toxic church. I'm going to bring an amazing man on the podcast <laughs> and the podcast now and give him a chance to chime in in 2022. And I have my husband Keith on the podcast for the first time in 2022. Hey everybody, happy new year. Yes, and I I was saving this part for you. Okay. Okay. So, oh, I can see it on your computer. Here. Yes. So Scott in the interview was talking about how he didn't know that all this toxic teaching existed until he got on Twitter and started reading yeah. the tweets from people like Owen Strawn and Denny Burke and oh, Kevin know, Young yeah. and all of this stuff. And you didn't, you you yeah. were kind of the same way. No, and you you'd say these things and I'd say they didn't say that. Like, yeah. I mean, like, no. Yeah. And of course they did. Right? So. Um, and there's a, a, a guy named Josiah Hawthorne on Twitter mm-hmm. who has literally been connecting the dots. Like, literally. But he put up all the different people <laughs> who are connected and then draw, drew the connections. And this is what he said. Um, Liberty U is connected to the SBC, which is the Southern Baptist Convention, is connected to the CBMW, Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, is connected to the Gospel Coalition, is connected to Desiring God, is connected to the Moscow Cult with Doug Wilson, is connected to Grace to You, is connected to G3, is connected to the SBC, is connected to the Gospel Coalition, is connected to Moscow, is, <laughs> and so on, and so on, and yeah. so on. And these guys all preach from the same playbook. Yeah. 
and they all quote each other. Absolutely. So, yeah, and I love, there's a little picture of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Six degrees Kevin Bacon. I, I, I tweeted just afterwards, and I said, the Kevin Bacon thing is perfect. And he said, okay, after they made this graphic, they actually figured out how to link Kevin Bacon to okay. Liberty U. Oh, because he's not linked in this. In four he's steps. Just, he's just there, yeah. which is that fun but, game, but we right? shouldn't we shouldn't paint Kevin Bacon with the same brush, because oh, no. not for the same reason. I think it was meant to be the joke, because the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon is the game that people Yes, play, exactly. Right? So they have Kevin Bacon there. But... Um, um, but this just shows, like, like these guys are all preaching the same playbook, and it yeah. doesn't look like Jesus. No, it's, they all reinforce each other, and they, they make each other feel like they are the true believers. Yeah. Um, because this is the thing I'm thinking of that's it, when I look at this web here, mm-hmm. is there are a lot of people out there who believe in Jesus, who would be able to say with complete sincerity that they ascribe to everything that is in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. All mm-hmm. the things that for the 2,000 years of Christian history we have agreed and believed on. Mm-hmm. They would say they are 100% in favor of all that, but they will be excluded by these people yeah. because of very specific beliefs mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with the gospel. Yeah. Um, but every one of them would exclude them because for them it's, a, it's not just about Jesus. It's about a particular structure of society the family all this other stuff it's not about jesus which puts men in power again and really encourages men to look nothing like jesus Mm -hmm. um which is which is the big issue that we're talking about and that leads me into a reader question that i thought we could that we could read really quickly um before we end this episode so a woman writes in a few years into our marriage i read a book that recommended not going more than three days without sex so the 72 hour Mm -hmm. rule that we talk about in the great sex rescue it's everywhere Every Man's Battle, Sheet Music, Power of a Praying Life. It's throughout our it's Christian literature. James Dobson started it. Anyway, my desire to be a good wife and to take care of my husband's needs led me to follow that advice. It actually made a lot of sense because it seemed then like after three or four days without sex, my husband would become irritable and grumpy. I have to think through family plans with that in mind. If we're going to have a fun family day on Saturday, I need to make sure he gets sex on Friday night so that he will be more agreeable and pleasant with me and the kids the next day. After 16 years of marriage, my mental clock still keeps track, and if sex doesn't happen, the kids and I pay the price with having to deal with a crabby dad. My husband will complain sometimes that sex seems like something else on my to-do list, and he's right. While I enjoy it, I definitely would not want it so often, but he is just easier to deal with when he has it on a frequent basis. Also, I find that if I need to talk to him about something or there's a problem we need to work on, we need to have sex first so that he's more likely to be emotionally available. I've mentioned to him that he seems irritable when he hasn't had sex, but he insists it's just because physical touch is his love language. Yeah. You know, this is actually a form of coercion. Mm -hmm. I think most people don't recognize that. But if you have to have sex with your husband to prevent him from doing something bad, Mm -hmm. that's actually a form of coercion. I I had a similar letter from a woman who said she had to have sex before their small group every week or else he would say things that were embarrassing. Um, If you have to have sex so that he'll be agreeable with the kids on a fun beach day, Mm -hmm. and if you don't, he'll take it out on you, that's actually a form of coercion. Yeah, Yeah. and you know we've talked about this in the blog before. When we were married, we had struggles with sex early on. Now I was I tend to be immature, and I bought a lot of the garbage that's out there in the evangelical world, mm-hmm. um, and they just basically say this is something men need, and women you need to give it to them, mm-hmm. um, and 
you know, and I sometimes would feel that, well, the problem is that you're not having sex with me enough. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, I got to the point where I realized that if you never had sex with me again, that doesn't let me off the hook for being a Christ-like man. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had, I had to start saying, like, I need to be mature. The problem is that the evangelical world is not teaching that to men. The evangelical world is teaching men, you deserve this, it's your birthright, they need to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're in charge and she's supposed to serve. And that's terrible. That is not Christ-like. That does not cause men to grow up and be strong and be the kind of people that look like Jesus. It causes them to be entitled Mm -hmm. and selfish. And there is, you know, and they'll take things which are biological um, in nature, but then they'll, they'll... they'll make them seem like laws. So for instance, when you do have sex, you release oxytocin, the bonding hormone, it calms you down, it makes you feel lovey-dovey. But that doesn't mean that if you don't have oxytocin that you'll therefore be crabby and irritable. Or or even worse, that that's the person's fault, like the other person's fault. Mm -hmm. So if I'm crabby because, quote unquote, you didn't have sex with me, that's my issue. Mm -hmm. But But the way we were being taught in the church is, it's your issue. Yeah. And that's wrong. It's just wrong. And in a marriage that goes on like this for long enough, she will eventually lose all respect for her husband. Mm-hmm. And she will likely eventually hate sex because sex is, is him using her. Mm-hmm. It isn't about them connecting. Because mm-hmm. if it was about them connecting, he would show he cares about her. Mm-hmm. And that's not happening here. So what I want to do this month on the blog and on the podcast is I want to put the Christ mm. back in Christian marriage advice. Okay. And back in Christian marriages, yeah. because this doesn't, everything we've talked about today, it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. And so to do that, I want to end this podcast, not with an encouraging email, but with a Bible passage. So okay. I would like to read Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then... Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's who we serve. Mm-hmm. We serve Jesus, and as we do that, we should have the mind of Christ, mm-hmm. all of us, male and female. Absolutely, and this is not a mind of entitlement. This mm-hmm. is a mind of service mm-hmm. and giving. That's what we as Christian men should be looking for, and Christian women. Yeah, so in 2022, let's make that our aim. Let's put the Christ back in Christian marriage Let's learn to serve and to focus on Him and follow Him 
first and foremost. That's what we're going to be doing on the Bear Marriage Podcast. So uh, please join me this year. There's lots of great stuff coming up. Remember to join us at tolovehonorandvacuum.com at the blog and join me on Instagram, Twitter. I would love to see my Instagram numbers go up because that's where I do a lot of fun stuff. So join me there as well. We'll put all of these links in the show notes. But thanks for hanging in there in 2021. It was a tough year, but I think 2022 is going to be amazing. So see you next week. Bye-bye.